Hello, beloved. How is everyone doing today? <laughs> I hope you are well. And that you are enjoying this holiday season. You know, for a lot of us, holidays start like the end of October and go through middle of January. I love that. I love the holidays. I love the fact that we get to uh, have a little bit more time together. That we get a few more days off than normal. And uh, we're just actually able to spend time with family. And that's, that's the best part of the holidays is being able to have time with your family. And yet right now I feel like uh, a lot of you aren't able to do that. And it breaks my heart. It literally breaks my heart that, that we aren't able to spend time with our family. To worship together as families. To be able to uh, celebrate birthdays and holidays and break bread. And do all the things families are supposed to do. To me, it, it's crazy that Christmas is only three weeks away. That in all this year of living differently, it's gone by so fast. I thought it was going to drag on because nothing was normal. But unfortunately for Jeannie and I, this, this year has been so abnormal that it's it's flown by. It seems like we have no control over time whatsoever. And uh, I gotta tell you, I'm struggling a little bit with that. But God is good. And he loves us. And he has a plan for us. And, and tonight we're gonna be talking about that a little bit. About how do we hear from God in our culture? You think about culture, you think about what we've been going through, what we are going through. And uh, even Christmas, even Christmas is going to be different this year. I mean, thank God for Amazon, right? <laughs> they get to deliver these beautiful boxes. Like, I've been to two people's houses in the last week, and, and the Christmas presents are literally just cardboard boxes under the tree. <laughs> And I'm sure they're going to wrap them, but I, I thought about just go buying some paint cans or something and just like spray painting those boxes a little bit. Just putting a little design on there and zip, 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 done. <laughs> so uh, don't tell my kids that might be a surprise for them. Hopefully they think it's cool. But yeah, it's, it's a different. It's different. And it's funny because I realized that our entire life lately has been wrapped up. In these cardboard boxes. And honestly, a lot of us have, have came to see them as beautiful. I mean, we are wrapped up in bubbles and, and sealed in our safe little boxes at home. But the sad thing is we kind of did the same thing with God. We wrapped him up in this neat little box. And I think maybe the intention was, was good. You know, we wanted him to be close to us. 
But unfortunately, like everything man does, he turned into control. We wrapped him up and we put him inside the walls of our church and we developed a whole culture to worship him and adore him. But now with COVID, we are, we are struggling because we cannot go see our God in the box. Many church doors are closed. And a lot of us are lost on how to go forward with our faith. So today I thought we'd talk a little bit about that culture. About the culture that that we had with Jesus. And how we, we the people, how we need to get back to that culture of the cross. How we the people, how us Christ followers, need to get back to what God has called us to do. And that is to change the culture of this world for Jesus. Amen. Matthew 6, 9 through 33, or 9 through 13, sorry. And I would venture to say almost everyone here knows this. But I want to start with these very familiar words tonight. And I hope you understand as we go forward. It says, this then is how we should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we Forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I always added, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen. It's the Lord's Prayer, right? It's literally the first memory I have the first memories I have in my life are my mom kneeling over me in bed and saying this prayer with me I have no fonder memories I have no deeper memories this was the beginning of my walk with God I remember sitting there wondering, when is God's kingdom going to come? What would it look like? Would it be streets of gold? Beautiful trees and flowers? I saw that as a young man. I, I dreamed of these streets and gold, of these trees and these flowers, and, and running waters and streams, and, and just this beautiful, beautiful place. I long for that place that, that I would be able to ask God and Jesus questions and, and figure out all the great mysteries of the world. I gotta tell you, I still long for that. I still long for that. 
are we? Where are we as the church? As the ecclesia? What have we done to, to change the culture of our world? What are we doing to, to honor that prayer? God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I mean, are we working to that end? Are we working for God's kingdom to come? That we walk in our daily lives with his will to be done. Are we still listening to his word? Are we still listening to him? Do we hear God's word and think, yes, yes, that is me. That is what I am going to do with my life. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how we fit into God's plan on influencing the earth and for his children that live in it. Because if we want God's kingdom come, then, then we have to be willing to change the culture that we live in. We have to be willing to be in the world, but not of it. Amen. Matthew five thirteen through 16 says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are the light of the world. It does not say we're the light of the church. It does not say we're the light of heaven. It says we are the light of the world. If we believers, if we the Christian church are the light of the world, why is the world getting darker and darker and darker? If the world's getting darker, ultimately, whose fault is that? It's my fault. It's pastor's fault. It's it's teacher's fault. It's it's the church's fault because we're not doing what God has asked us to do. We're not listening to his word. We're not hearing his voice. And we're not trying to influence the culture that we live in. I mean, have you ever had a job that you just loved? I mean, you got excited every day to get up and go to your job. It brought you joy and and you looked forward to it. I have. Those kind of jobs are the best. You work hard and you, you find a way to improve it every day. But what about jobs that are dead ends? 
jobs that you have no joy in, jobs that are just jobs to, to make a buck. You're just doing that to survive, to try to get by until, until you get a better offer. I would venture to say that many of us see our job of bringing light to the world as a dead end. And honestly, it shows. I believe that it's because the Western church has been teaching that we get to escape all the madness of the tribulation. In the 1830s, John Darby started teaching. And we've talked about this a little bit, but tonight we're going to go a little deeper. He started teaching that there would be a rapture of believers before the darkness came, before the tribulation. Now, where he got that from is a great debate. Some say when he went over to uh, Scotland, Ireland, he he heard a, a young lady talk about her dreams and visions that she was seeing. And that's where he got these ideas. And yet many people say, oh, no, no. He, he was thinking about this beforehand. Okay. The bottom line is, it was a great message. You know why? Because at that time, it brought hope. People thought, wow, I'm not going to have to go through anything. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to live a good life. And then if I die, I die. If I get raptured, I get raptured. I'll never have to go through tribulation. It actually caught on fire in the American church. And, and today, almost evangelicals teach the rapture. They teach pre-tribulation. I mean, the Darby Study Bible, the Schofield Study Bible, the Ryrie Study Bible, all have encouraged this teaching, and it has taken off across Western churches. But not in the rest of the world. We need, we need to understand that. This pre-tribulation rapture theory, this doctrine, is is not what the rest of the world teaches. I mean, there's pockets, definitely pockets in Europe, but it's it's predominantly a Western theology because it's extremely new, 200 years old. The early church never, ever taught this. Early believers never, ever thought this was going to happen. And honestly, I have to ask you, how has this doctrine, how has this dispensational theory helped strengthen the Christian church? How has it helped to strengthen the church in America? So I would venture to say it's done the polar opposite. It has weakened us. It has put us in a box where we're protected and we're sheltered and we're not going out. Letting God out of the box, letting God move about, changing lives. If we do not see the point of changing the world, 
And we, we are just going to keep trying to save people. Our focus, again, has became inward and not outward. It's about protecting me. It's about protecting my family. It's about protecting mine. And yet, Christ always talked about protecting the masses. About saving the world. Once again, we are teaching for the point of I and not we. It is a message of selfishness. And it's not kingdom mentality. It's not being Christ-like. I love Amos. This is 5, 14 through 15. It says, Seek good and not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Maintain justice. I want you to think about that for a moment. Maintain justice. I want you to think about the courts in the United States. About the Supreme Court decisions that have been made since the late 1950s. Now the church just stayed out of it. We didn't get involved. Pastors and, and churches didn't get involved in, in creation. They didn't get involved and they pulled prayer out of, church, out of school. They didn't get involved in Roe v. Wade. We didn't get involved. Because that was culture. That was society. And we, we had to be separate from society. We had to be separate because we were waiting for rapture. Since the 1950s, 60s, 70s, we've been waiting for rapture. The church has been waiting for this, this great event. And because of that, we've been more isolationists than we have been world changers. I mean, our, our missionary presence has shrunk greatly in the world. Because we're making sure that we're going to heaven. We're making sure that we're not going to be left behind. We're no longer working hard to influence governments. We don't make our voices heard on injustice or social issues because we don't, we don't think that we're going to be around long enough to have any impact. In China, evangelical missionaries told the church in China not to worry. They would be raptured because of the tribulation. You know, shortly after that, more than 250,000 Chinese Christians were killed. And it is estimated that 140 million are living under persecution today. We, the church, have given up on living, breathing, changing the world. 
And it seems like we're only trying to change individuals. This consumer mentality of, hello, how can we help you today? Oh, we have self-servo aisle over here. Mm-hmm. That's, oh, and, and this is where you can uh, get your daily devotional. Mm-hmm. It's all consumerism. You pop in, you grab what you want, you take off. It's like going to 7-Eleven. We don't have deep fellowship anymore. Many churches have given up on small groups. Having that deep commitment, having that deep intimacy with a small group, I think I've heard of it before. Let me think. There was this guy, Jesus. Yeah. He had 12 disciples that he was intimate with that he did life with, that he shared with. And once they had become strong, he sent them out. He sent them out to evangelize and to change the world, to change culture. You know, the word apostle, you know where that comes from, right? It's a Greek word. It's a Greek word, and it, it came basically... Um, as someone that would change the culture. Well, the Romans, they took that word and they started using it for their conquest. The Romans took generals and made them apostles. And their job was to take the Roman culture to whatever city they conquered. No longer were they just going to conquer it and walk away. They were going to Romanize whoever they, whoever they conquered. So that's where the word apostle came from. And it's, it's, no, it's no coincidence. I mean, Jesus could have called the 12 ministers or disciples, which he did. But he chose to call them apostles. Because their job was to bring the culture of Jesus to wherever they went. And it's mind-boggling to me that the, the church today, some churches today, teach that there's no need for apostles anymore. When it was literally God's plan. How God played the game. How he spoke to a culture. He sent apostles out to influence wherever they went for the kingdom. We, we the church, have given up on changing the world. The enemy has caused us, like Adam, to not be good stewards of this creation. We, God's remnant, will be saved. But, but again, how does that make us the light of the world? How does that influence culture? 2 Timothy 4, this is 2 through 5. It says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. With great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, 
They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. How does that make you feel when I read that? I mean, are we teaching God's word correctly? Are we being the light of the world? It says that that we're going to endure hardships. And that we have to continue to do the work of an evangelist. I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm seeing more and more Christians staying home. Watching online, not, not even going to church. It's getting harder and harder to have outreaches in our own communities because of fear. We've been told for so long that bad things are coming. Bad things are coming. So we're, we're good with holing up at home. We're, we're good with, with watching TV for hours. We're good with not going out, not evangelizing. We're good with waiting for the rapture. Who do you think wins with this thought? Who do you think gains if the church is home waiting for the rapture? It's not God. It's the enemy. Because he has us defeated. We're not even going out anymore doing what God has commanded us to do. Because of fear, because of indifference. We're not hearing sound doctrine. We are turning our eyes and ears away from the truth. And we're listening to myths. There's, there's no biblical proof for a pre-rapture tribulation. There's none. None. Nada. You can't take that word being in the New Testament four times. It's not really per se rapture. But it's close. It's in 1 Corinthians 15 twice. First Thessalonians, obviously, we'll get to that. But that's not sound doctrine. The whole Western church is checking out. And because of this, the world is getting darker and darker. We are not being strong and united in the cases of persecution. We are hiding. I gotta tell you guys, Jesus never ever talked about escape. He always taught endurance. You will endure. Matthew 24. Man, read that whole thing. It says be ready. It says there might be some scary stuff. It says, oh man, hope you're not pregnant when it happens. Hope it's not wintertime. <laughs> But it never says we can escape it. 
this is 12 through 15, it says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And then the end will come. This gospel of the kingdom, kingdom mentality, healing, delivering, saving the world, will be preached to the ends of the world. And then the end will come. We clear? <laughs> I know I'm passionate about this, but guys, I, I feel like people have been believing a lie for so long. We checked out that we're, we're separated. We're separated. In Matthew 24, Jesus says that we'll go through it all. He says we'll go through trouble. He actually describes us going through very difficult times. And that he actually will not return to the end. That does not sound like God is telling us to stay out of culture but to preach the gospel till the end of the age. We need to get in the culture, influence the culture, be the change. Jesus never ran and hide. He never hid. He always went straight ahead. He went right to the temple and preached. He never shied away. Because he was changing the culture. Remember when Jesus was alive, the culture in, in Jerusalem was, was that of Pharisees and Sadducees. It was all about the law. It wasn't about people. It was all about law. Your relationship with God was just based upon rules. And it's hard to have a relationship with rules. We have to have a relationship with the Father. I believe that the doctrine of pre-tribulation rapture is a doctrine that the enemy loves. Because we are no longer engaged in the war. And we are not preparing for whatever tomorrow brings. 1 Thessalonians this is 4, 15 through 17. It says, According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the, the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, and with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. There it is. We will be caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. But this is the second coming. Because the dead are going to rise. 
So that means we're headed for the great judgment. Amen? The final trumpet. When Christ returns, it's, it's not going to be something different. It's the end. And it's funny how this verse is, is the main reason that so many people believe in the rapture. But we have to note the words in front of it. Those of us that are left alive. <laughs> Why would he say it like that if we were going to be pulled out in the good times? Those of us that were left alive. It kind of sounds to me like we've been going through some stuff. Amen? I don't see how we can believe that we are out of here before anything bad happens. Let's turn this around. We talked earlier about having a job that was hard to love, right? Hard to return to. How about having a job you know you're going to be fired from? How hard do you work? I mean, if we had a job that we knew we were getting fired from, how hard would we work for that job? What if we started living like this world, this amazing creation was an amazing gift that God gave us. That for generations to come, we have a chance to make it a better place. We would work harder if we thought we could make a difference. We would get in the battle if we thought we were saving this place for our grandkids. And ultimately... For our grandkids, grandkids. We got to be fighting for our children's children. We would be working with an end game of victory. Working so that we were making a difference. That we believed that, that we could all have a kingdom mentality. Because if we, if we fought like that, we would influence the culture. If we lived in victory, if we lived in hope, if we lived in such a way where people go, why is that guy happy? The world's on fire. He's on cloud nine. He's at peace with all this. How is that possible? Because I believe that we can change the world. I believe that we can influence culture. I believe that if we, the church, stood up and started taking a stand instead of sitting back in our boxes, that we could make a difference. I'm going to close with this. This is a long part of scripture, but it's important. This is Re Revelations. I'm in chapter 7. This is verses 9 through 14. I got a drink. <laughs> Pay attention. This, this is everything. It says, After this I looked, 
And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they were crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. (sighs) All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Praise and glory, wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be our God forever and ever. Amen. I could probably just say that the rest of the night and we'd be okay. (laughs) Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? And I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. How is this going to happen? If we, the church, check out before the tribulation, how is this prophecy going to happen? Is God's word going to become null and void? Because if the church checks out, there might be a few people, you know, left behind to go, oh, I knew better. And maybe they start teaching. But we're talking about No one could count. This is imperative to understand. This is imperative to understand that there is no way. There is no way the church is checking out before the tribulation. Get busy. Get in the game. Activate. Become the Christian that the devil is afraid that he knows you can be. If we, the ecclesia, do not get in the game, if we do not hear from the Father and be alert to a dark world, how is God's word going to come to pass? It's on us. If the world's getting darker and darker, it's our fault. And we need to accept that. We need to walk in that. And we need to do everything in our power to turn this world around. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we we give you all the glory, Lord. You are all, Father. There is nothing that that is not in your hands. Forgive us, Lord God, for, for getting in our box, for hiding away. Forgive us, Father God, for not kicking in the game. Forgive us, Father God, for not being victorious in our thoughts and minds. 
Help us, Lord God, to be activated for the kingdom. Help us, Lord God, to be thoroughly striving to do your will. Lord God, I pray for your kindness, for your mercy, for your strength, and for your glory, Father God, to fall upon us all. Give us the strength to go forth and move mountains. Give us the strength, Lord God, to do what you've asked us to do in your word. We love you, Father. Help us to change this culture. In Jesus' name, amen. I know today has been challenging for some of you. I know some of you might have even turned this off, but I bet you come back and listen to it again. Get in the game. Become warriors for the kingdom. And change the world. God bless you guys. Love you.